Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. We are in for a special episode today with our guest, a fellow NICU mom of triplets, keynote speaker, Amazon bestselling author, and simplicity coach, Rose Lounsbury. Rose helps overwhelmed people create open spaces in their homes, workspaces, and more importantly, their minds by letting go of the excess stuff that gets in the way. Rose started her own simplicity journey in 2012 after getting fed up with spending all of her free time dealing with stuff. As she slowly let go of everything that didn't matter to her, she discovered some amazing things, free time, peace of mind, and clarity. She later became a simplicity coach to help others do the same thing. I have to tell you, Rose, as someone who has a lot of stuff and family heirlooms, I'm so excited to speak with you today. The concept of decluttering and simplifying life would have definitely helped us during our family's personal NICU journey as well. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. But first, you are a fellow NICU mom. Tell us about your personal journey. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much, Martha, for having me here. I'm just excited to talk with you. And it's interesting because my triplets are now 11. They'll be 12 this summer. And so when you're at this point, I don't think about the NICU all that often anymore. But when I was in it, it was just such an intense time of my life. So when I was thinking about this question, I kind of went back and I thought, you know, my NICU journey was maybe different from a lot of people's, not because I had triplets, but because I knew that I would have children in the NICU. I think for many people, the NICU is a really unpleasant surprise. Um, but when you're having high level multiples, high risk pregnancy, you know, pretty much that you're going to be in the NICU. So we had toured the NICU ahead of time. I had gotten to see the intubators and see how things were laid out in the hospital where I was going to have the babies. And so I think there was a level of comfort with the NICU for me going into it that some people may not have. I think for me, the scariest thing would have been if they wouldn't have gone in the NICU and they would have just sent those three babies home with me and I would have had to start doing it all on my own right from the get-go. So for me, the NICU was kind of a nice buffer, almost like a training ground, the little triplet mom boot camp where I could sort of learn how to be a mom to three babies at once because I had had no other children. I didn't know how to do this. I'd changed like one diaper in my entire <laughs> life. So this was very new to me. Um, so I had a comfort level with it. And my babies were born at 32 weeks and five days. So they were healthy triplets. Um, the boys were about four pounds and my daughter was about three pounds. So, you know, in the NICU, that's a, that's a good size of baby. Mm -hmm. And we didn't experience a lot of really, um, difficult experiences in the NICU. One of my sons had to be on an intubator for a couple days, but that was really the only major issue that we had while they were there. And so they came home at two weeks, two and a half weeks and three weeks. So they had like a staggered, you know, staggered start to my, my life with them at home. So by the time they came home, then it was me doing it all. Well, not all by myself. I had my husband and I had my mom and my mother-in-law would come help. But I think my journey in the NICU was probably one of the best 
experiences that someone could have in the NICU. And I think a big part of that was I expected to be there. I think it's very different when you have a different expectation. If you've had a baby before and you expect maybe I'm going to go home with the baby and you have this vision in your mind of I'm going to have the baby and I'm Mm -hmm. going to come home like the next day or two days later with the baby. And then that doesn't happen that's a very different experience than when the expectation is, well, I'm going to have them. They're going to be there for a few weeks. Mine actually came home so much sooner than I had expected. Cause they tell you don't expect them before their due date. Well, their due date was September 4th. They were born July 15th. And by the beginning of August, they were all home. Oh, wow. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little bit shocked at how quickly they all came home. And it was then it was really time that I had to get myself together and figure out how I was going to manage it. Well, and how did that experience with your triplets in the NICU take you on this life path of simplifying life, decluttering? I'm, I'm so excited to ha- hear how these are connected. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I didn't see them as connected for a long time. Like the NICU obviously was where I started, where, where the babies were born. And then when they came home, I obviously had to learn how to take care of them. And one of the things that I had done, I'm a naturally pretty organized person, but I had really studied and observed those nurses in the NICU. And I had seen what they were doing. Cause I said, okay, these women are outnumbered by the babies. There are more babies than there are nurses on this floor, yet they are managing to take care of all of this. And so I just thought, okay, every three hours they're feeding them like clockwork. So I said, okay, when I came home, I had a spreadsheet and every three hours we logged in how much everybody was eating. I had different colors for every single kid, which was probably a little bit of overkill. I didn't think I needed, I don't think it's I needed impressive. to go to that level of, <laughs> of organizing, but I was trying desperately, of course, like control the situation. And so I think the NICU gave me a sense of organization at a different level than I had experienced before having kids and definitely before having three kids at once. I had to be very regimented and scheduled in a way that I think if you have one baby at a time, you can kind of go with what that baby wants and oh, they want to eat nap now and they want to eat now. And in my house, it was like, no, we eat at, at two o'clock, like two o'clock is when we eat. And if you're hungry at one you're going to wait a little bit and you'll be fine, but everybody's got to eat at the same time or else I'm off, you know, running like a crazy person around my house. So the NICU gave me a sense of structure that I'd already kind of had in my own, just the way that I am, but it was sort of like an increased level of structure. But then here's the downside of that. Like you can become too structured and there can be too much organization. And it's like, you are clinging to the organization as a way to like save yourself. And that's sort of what started to happen. So I had extreme organization all over the house, labeled bins, like boy bibs, girl bibs, boy shoes, girl shoes, everything was really organized, but I felt a lot of anxiety trying to maintain that, which got worse when I went back to work full-time when they were two years old. And so now I'm back in the workforce full-time. I have two-year-old triplets at home. So I'm working two really demanding jobs every single day. And at the end of the days, what happened was I was just dealing with all that stuff, trying to keep it all organized, keep it all together, keep everything in the right bins. And it was like every day I would come home from work and it's like the chaos had just erupted again. And then I would take care of the kids and, and get them set. And then at night I would spend an hour putting everything back where it was supposed to go. This sounds very familiar, Rose. <laughs> I I am, this is ringing, I'm smiling over here because this is ringing a bell. This sounds way too familiar, way too familiar. I think it's 
it's something a lot of people can relate to. And so that really was the catalyst for me to embrace simplicity was when I suddenly could no longer manage my life through organization anymore. I could not organize it any more than I had and I was drowning. And so I started reading these books and blogs on this topic of minimalism, which was really relatively a new idea at the time. It was before Marie Kondo, before the minimalists and all these people. And I found a few blogs and some books and I was like, oh my gosh, the answer is to just let go of the extra stuff. And when I let go of the excess stuff I don't need, guess what? My life becomes a lot easier. Not that it was easy. I'm still working full time and I have three toddlers. But at the end of the day, now I found myself sometimes having time to sit down on my couch and read a book or enjoy a mug of tea or call my mom just to talk because I had created space in my life to do things that I actually enjoyed doing. And it was a result of letting go of that physical stuff that was absorbing all of my very small amount of free time. So that would be the way that I would see my NICU experience being a triplet mom kind of leading into simplicity. It was, it was out of necessity uh, sort of to save my mental health at a really <laughs> stressful right. time in my life. Right. I, I do have to ask you, the first thought that comes to mind for me is, how do you figure out what stuff to get rid of? I mean, I think about what we have and heirlooms and all of that. Where do you even start? So when people ask me where to get started, I generally have two pieces of advice that I say. And the first one is to start with your own stuff. Now, when I started, I didn't have a plan and I didn't have a guide and I didn't have anyone I was really listening to to tell me how to do it. So I just started with my towels. Uh, One day I started in the towel cupboard. I was like, all right, I'm just going to get rid of extra towels that we don't need. Now, in retrospect, now that I've worked with enough people, I understand why that was a good place to start. Mm -hmm. It's a good place to start because it was my own stuff. I wasn't starting with my husband's stuff. I wasn't starting with the kids stuff. Now they were two years old. So if your kids are under five, I think it's okay to deal with their stuff without their input because they really probably won't know. Um, But if your kids are five or older, I think you need to involve them. So generally you should start with your own things, the things you have jurisdiction over. And then the second thing I tell people is you want to start somewhere easy. So you mentioned the heirlooms, right? Those are not easy no, because no. they are full of emotions and feelings. I often tell people when we're dealing with our stuff, we're not actually dealing with our stuff. What we're dealing with are our feelings and emotions about our stuff. Mm-hmm. As such, you do not want to start where the feelings and emotions are strong. And that's always going to be with memorabilia, sentimental items, heirlooms, those things that you look at and you go, oh, you might feel guilty. You might feel shameful. You feel like you wasted your money. Why did I buy that? Yada, yada. Don't start with those things. Start with something that's kind of emotionless. So towels are a good place to start because most of us don't have strong feelings about the towels. We don't have Mm -hmm. fond memories of drying our hands with those towels. We just use them. So start with your own stuff and start somewhere easy. And then you work your way up eventually to the more emotionally laden things. Mm -hmm. And that that's a really great piece of advice to start with the towels because you aren't emotionally tied to them. So you start to get some practice down of being able to declutter a little bit and, and simplify. I want to come back to the NICU because I, I do see how, how this is all connected. And I think you can just be consumed with the organization. I mean, I, I personally feel that on a regular basis, my husband would agree with that as well <laughs> for yeah. sure, for sure. 
But when you look back at your NICU journey and coming home, and obviously you were coming home with three babies and uh, after a NICU stay and, and the schedule was great, what do you think was one of the most challenging obstacles that you overcame after coming home from the NICU? Yeah, so there are obviously quite a few obstacles when coming home from the NICU. And I think probably I I would divide these into internal and external challenges. Um, I think clearly most of us think of the immediate external challenges. How do you manage all of this? But the internal challenge truly was the greatest one to overcome. And that was learning to trust myself enough that I could take care of them. Because I was a new mom, I had three babies, I had my mom there all the time, my mother-in-law there all the time, all these people trying to help me. And what I realized eventually was I had to kick out all of my helpers because as long as I was relying on them, I didn't trust myself enough to take care of my children myself. And so the biggest internal obstacle was learning to trust myself that yes, you can handle this and it's okay to have help. It's good to have help, but you can do this. You are their mom and you know what they need and you can take care of them and you are capable. And so that was the greatest internal obstacle um, after coming home from the NICU. And then I, the external, the greatest external obstacle would be trying to go anywhere in the car. We, sure. you know, I can throw them in the stroller and walk around the block, but getting in the car, I can remember, you know, my arms, I love looking back at pictures of my arms because they were so ripped, you know, from picking up those <laughs> pumpkin seats. All, you know, it was just I was so strong. But we really only went to doctor's appointments for about a year. That was about the only place we went because I wasn't going to go to play dates. It's not worth it for me to go to play dates. I'm like, I'm just trying to survive here. And so that was probably the biggest external obstacle was I felt like I couldn't really do all the like mommy things that people do a lot with newborns. You know, you can, when you can like put them in a baby Bjorn and, and mm -hmm. go somewhere, it's actually, it's not easy, but it's much easier than three. Like you really can't easily take three children mm -hmm. anywhere. And then when you do, I found people, we were such an, a sight you know, people were stopping, talking to us. I had people taking pictures of us without permission. There was, a, it was, all, it was weird. And so it was kind of uncomfortable sometimes to take them out in public because you got a lot of attention. And, you know, I'm like, I just want to do my grocery shopping. I don't want to stop and talk to you. <laughs> and so taking them out of the house was, was probably the biggest challenge mm -hmm. during those times. Well, and I'm sure that was terribly overwhelming, right? I mean, an overwhelming yeah. time coming home from the NICU, having three babies, I mean, how did that feel? Yeah, yeah, it's very overwhelming. Plus, there's the recovery from a C-section, you know, on top of that, you know, you're actually recovering from a major surgery and now you're sleep deprived and you're taking care of three premature babies. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just I think back to it and I honestly I'm sure people say this all the time, but I really don't know how I got through those times. I remember thinking, you know, kind of becoming aware that there were like reserves of um, of resilience inside of us, that there were these like untapped reserves where we could keep going when we thought we couldn't. And I actually had never known those were there until I had to access them. And then I was very surprised to find and relieved to find that they were there. Like there's this reserve of, of survival that you will just reach into and you will find it in yourself to keep going, to do things that most people don't think that they could do. And I know during that time of my life, I was using some of those reserves. And now that I haven't had to for a while, I look back and I think, man, how? I don't know how I managed, <laughs> right, but right. I did. And if I had to do it again, I would find a way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges at those early days. Well, and I want to stay on that topic of feeling overwhelmed because I've been personally bringing our surviving twin home from the NICU and trying to keep everything organized, having all of the hand sanitizer out, having her area clean and and set up for where she would be dressed and and changing her diapers, feeling just overwhelmed as a NICU parent, right? Mm -hmm. Coming home from the NICU, but then also tying it back to your simplicity and decluttering. What do you tell to parents who are feeling overwhelmed or trying to figure out how they could take the next step on simplifying their life, bringing a new baby home, trying to figure out their house? What's your advice for them? Yeah, so this is advice that I wish I had known then. So I didn't know this then, but now when I talk to parents who have babies, um, the basic thing I tell them is, you know, babies really can only do four things. They can eat, sleep, poop, and cry. So there are only four things you need to take care of them. You need something to feed them with. So if you're breastfeeding or you're bottle feeding, you need some formula or breast milk. Um, they need somewhere to sleep. So a bed and some pajamas probably to sleep in that bed. They're going to they're gonna poop. So you need some diapers of some type and probably some wipes. And they're going to cry. So you need patience. And of those four, that last one is the hardest one to get because mm -hmm. you cannot go to Target and buy more patients. You can buy more diapers. You can buy more wipes. You can buy more formula. And so I think a lot of times what we think is we need to buy more stuff so that we will be prepared and everything will be great. But really our ability to take care of our children comes from within and our ability to feel calm and patient. And one thing that will help with that is simplifying your external environment. And there's been plenty of studies that have shown that people in simplified, tidy environments feel calmer. And all of us have probably experienced this. Let's say you cleaned out the garage one Saturday and you get done. You're like, wow, yes, you feel awesome. Like it feels good in the garage. It looks great, mm -hmm. but it feels even better. And so I think of decluttering as like a conduit to mental wellness. You can physically see the open space, but what you've really created is mental or internal open space. So families who are feeling overwhelmed, I mean, there's all sorts of things we can do to access mental wellness. You can do meditation, yoga, exercise, all those things, breathing, it's all good. But one thing people don't think about is, hey, you know what? I could just clean out my sock drawer. And that would also give me a little boost of mental wellness. I could clean out all of the old spices that are expired. I could clean out the medicine cabinet. I could let go of some old papers that we don't need anymore. All of those things will make you feel less overwhelmed. And so I say it's a conduit to mental wellness and it's one of the easiest ones to do because it's really tangible and it's really visible. Unlike some of the other things, which are meditation and gratitude practice. And I do all that stuff. I love all that stuff, but I would tell people a really, you know, quick fix is to declutter a cabinet, declutter a closet, and you don't have to do it all at once. One cabinet, three old coffee mugs in the donation box. It doesn't have to be everything. And with kids, with babies, really think about what you actually need for your baby. People have been having babies for tens of thousands of years without wipe warmers. So you may not need as much stuff as the, you know, Bed Bath and Baby Beyond. I don't even remember the names of the stores where you register for all the stuff and they make mm -hmm. you think you need all the stuff. I found it very overwhelming to have all that stuff. And I simplified down. I remember I had so many bottles. 
it's so many bottles. And then what I found was it was actually easier to use the same 12 bottles every day and wash them twice a day Mm -hmm. than to have 50 some bottles, which is what I had and try to keep them clean and all of this. So simpler is better. Less is more. And that will relate to your baby care as well as every other part of your life. So if you're feeling really overwhelmed, try just cleaning out a drawer and see if that maybe makes you feel a little bit better. And I'm guessing that it probably will. That is a great strategy. And that's really something that a family can do kind of on a daily basis or thinking of planning ahead and saying, hey, I'm just thinking about my own family where I say, hey, honey, this is good. It'd be great if you could do this Saturday. And the day-to-day strategies, I mean, how do you help families in that way? How do do your strategies, you, you tell them to get started to clean out one drawer and then build from there? Yeah, generally I tell people to start where it feels easy, right? Start where it's not emotional and then you build your way up from there. So I also will tell people wherever you're experiencing the biggest pain point is also a good place to start, especially families with babies or young kids. You know, there might be some real pain points in the home, like the entryway might be really chaotic. The kitchen might be really chaotic. And for families, those are going to be big problems because you're going in and out of your house every day. You're in the kitchen every day. So start where it seems easy, but also look at the places that are causing you a significant amount of pain. And the method that I prescribe is my last method. It's a four-step method. I'm happy to share it if you want. It's also in my book if people want to read it. But it's just a four-step method, which has you lay out your vision and purpose for the space. That's the L. E is empty the space. S is sort it twice. And you sort it into like with like piles. And then you make a decision. That's the second sort. And the last S is systemize, which means you organize it. So you can L-E-S-S, less method, your kitchen, your entryway, your kids' toys, your sock drawer. It's the same method. It applies to every single space in your home, except paper. Paper has a different acronym that I also talk about in my book. But that's what I would recommend people do. Like go for the easy wins and the low hanging fruit. But also if you're trying to run a family, you're going to have, you're going to give yourself some big wins if you tackle some of the pain points. And to do those, I'm going to recommend that you probably get my book and you can get it on Kindle if you want and get an actual method because it's really easy to get overwhelmed in some of those complex spaces like a kitchen where in a kitchen, there's just a lot of things that happen in the kitchen. It's not just for eating anymore. There's all sorts of things. It's a charging station and a craft room and the pet area. Like there's a lot of things. So I would recommend having a method. And I, I think my, I know my method works because I've used it with hundreds and hundreds of people by now. Um, so that's what I would recommend as the day to day. And There's also, if you're, if that sounds overwhelming to you, which it might, you know, there's also just the here and there decluttering, which Mm -hmm. if you get yourself a donation box and you stick it somewhere in your house, doesn't matter where, as you're going about your every day, you're brushing your teeth, something we hopefully are all doing every day. You're in your bathroom already. Open up the cupboard. Is there anything in there that you don't need? Is there lotion that you bought that you don't like the smell of? Is there stuff that you're just not using anymore? And just get rid of it. In the bathroom, you probably will need to throw that away. But in your closet, you're getting dressed for the day. You notice some shirts you are just never going to wear again. They're out of style. They don't fit. They're ripped. They're torn, whatever. Put those in the donation or the trash. You're, You're just doing this in the context of your daily life. So you don't have to say, okay, I'm going to block off four hours and Mm -hmm. clean out my whole kitchen. That's 
not possible for most people, especially people with young babies. You don't have that time, but you're in your kitchen. And when you put your coffee mug back, you can probably find a couple in the back that you're no longer using. Stick those in the donation box. And that little here and there decluttering will add up to some big changes in your life. And it doesn't take a lot of extra time on your part. It's kind of like if you're Again, if you don't have time to exercise, but you do calf raises while you're brushing your teeth or you do squats while you're on a Zoom call with the camera off, you know, you can find <laughs> ways to sneak exercise into your day right, while you're right. doing your normal activities. You can find ways to sneak decluttering into your day while you're doing your normal activities as well. Well, what I love hearing from you too saying this is that it, it's great for families who are coming home, who have a lot of activity in their homes of being able to actually tackle these simple tasks of a drawer right? It's not so overwhelming. It's not the whole house. It might not be the whole kitchen, but you can start to declutter and simplify that the laundry room is coming to mind for me and all of the masks that are hanging on the peg rail in the laundry room that fall off every time the kids take one mask off, four fall onto the floor, which then mom comes in and picks up uh, and all the coats hanging in there. But you think about those smaller spaces, those uh, high traffic areas within your home. And tell us, Rose, name of your book, it's called Less Minimalism for Real. Thank you so much. I love these strategies that you're sharing with us. It certainly relates to all of our lives, I think, uh, uh, at any point. Here's the big question, though. So I did mention, you know, I'll tell my husband, oh, we're going to clean out the garage or clean off all the shelves today and, and get rid of some things. And not only my husband, but also our daughters go, oh, boy, here comes mom, right? <laughs> How do you get your spouse, your partner, your kids on board with you with this process? Yeah. So the first thing I say is you need to be the change, right? Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. I say, be the change you wish to see in your house. So if you want your spouse, your children to get on board, you must first be modeling the behavior that you want them to do. So make sure that your spaces are tidy. Make sure that you have gone through and dealt with your own clothes. And this can often be really eye-opening for you as you find yourself making excuses and why you want to hang on to something that somebody else might not think is important. As you do this with your family, you'll see that they have similar reasons for hanging on to things that you don't think are important. So deal with your own stuff first so that you have set that example for them. And once you have done that, and again, the only exception to that is if the children are under five, you can just do it for them, that you do not need to involve them if they're that young. But once you have set the example, then you can invite them in to help you. Or even while you're setting the example, invite them in to help you. Say, hey, you know, honey, I really want to go through my closet, but I've got this pile of dresses and I'm just not sure which ones look good on me. Could you just give me your opinion on which ones you like and don't like? People cannot resist giving their opinion. We love to be asked for our advice. So here you now have invited them in for their opinion on your stuff. You're not asking them to take care of their stuff. You're asking them to help you with your stuff. Most people will go along with that. So you've invited them in to help you. Once they have done that, you can then reciprocate by offering to help them. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this weekend I was thinking I could help you if you want. I could help you go through the garage through that corner in the garage that you've been wanting to use for woodworking. Maybe we could go through that corner and I could help you make sense of it so that you could use that corner. So you're approaching them. It's not like you're telling them to do it. You're approaching them in the spirit of helping them. I know that you want to be able to find your clothes more easily, be able to find your tools more easily, be able to keep your homework more organized, whatever it is. Would you like me to help you? 
That's a question, which means they can say no. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. They say, no, you just back off and let them take care of it the way they want to. But you've opened that conversation, which means you can come back to it later in you know a few weeks or a month. Say, hey, I'd still be happy to help you if you'd like my help going through those things. Again, they might say no, and that's okay. But you've invited them in. You've offered to help them. And that's a much better way to get their input. And I also think, especially shared spaces for families, like you're talking about your laundry room, the entryway, places where the different members of the family are all allowed to keep different stuff. I really recommend that you set reasonable limits together in those spaces. So what I mean by set reasonable limits would be in an entryway, for example, shoes, coats, bags, all that stuff becomes an issue in the entryway. And so as a family, you could say, okay, the entryway has become chaotic. What do we think would be a reasonable limit for the amount of shoes people are allowed to keep here? And then hear what they have to say. Maybe mm-hmm. they say four pairs or three pairs, whatever. But you've come up with a limit or a rule together as opposed to you going in and saying, hey, henceforth, everyone's allowed two pairs of shoes and that's it. Well, guess who has to enforce that? You. OK, and then you've now given yourself another job that you have to do regularly, which you will probably start to resent and they will start to get angry at you. If you invite them in and you've made the rule together, they're much more likely to police themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just a much more collaborative way to go about this. So set the example, invite them in, offer to help them. And as much as possible, set those reasonable limits together. And if you do that, generally, it goes a lot smoother for families. This sounds like it could be good conversation, too, for families who have older children at home coming home from the NICU and figuring out the family plan for keeping the house organized and and figuring out where the spaces are simplified and decluttered and and creating that plan together for when the baby or babies come home from the NICU. Yeah, yeah. So if you have older children you could preempt this a bit by having them make a plan for where their toys will go Mm -hmm. and helping them maybe put labels on the bins of their toys so they know where things are. Maybe it's a good time to have a laundry system or a laundry plan that they could be somehow involved in, even if they're little. I mean, I started teaching my kids to do their own laundry at about age seven. They weren't doing the complete thing, but they started having some say and some ability enabled to do it themselves. So it actually builds a lot of independent skills with your older kids. If you create organization, they can then maintain it. If you go into a a preschool classroom, you will see this. That teacher is not picking up all the toys for 20 some kids every single day. The teacher has created a system that's really easy in general, if they're a good preschool teacher, for the kids to follow. So they know when it's cleanup time, they know where the blocks go. When they come in in the morning, they know where their backpack goes, where their lunch goes and where their coat goes. Their teacher has taught them these things. And so if your kid can do this at daycare or at preschool, they can also do it at your house. It's a matter. And we don't always think about it. They right? We can? don't think about no. <laughs> they can. They can. Even your 17 what? year old. I know. I know. Um, they can. But it has to be intentional and it has to be clear. And I think a lot of times in our homes, we don't take the time to make the systems really obvious. We, we're keeping the system in our head as opposed to making a simple system that's obvious to everyone in the house. And then we feel resentful because we're the ones then maintaining the system. Well, guess what? We're the only ones who understand the system. Mm -hmm. So there would, there could be a process of creating a system together and then making it really clear and obvious for everybody. So everybody knows how to keep it running. And that would really ease the transition of a new baby 
if there were other systems in the house for the other people to maintain on their own. Mm-hmm. And tying it back to the baby coming home too, I mean, looking back, our our oldest is 10, our youngest is five. We had a lot of things that were given to us to use, especially when Claire had come home from the NICU. And I think she maybe wore four outfits that I yeah. washed and then she wore again. And she did not, she wore a lot of the same clothes. And I just remember feeling very overwhelmed with all of the gifts and all of the items that she had. And we were so grateful for for all of our family and friends loving her so much and, and giving us so many wonderful things. But it is, it is overwhelming. Do you have advice for families who are going through that and receiving all of those items and how they kind of navigate through that? Yes, I have two words of advice. Thank you. That's it. At the point you've said thank you, you have fulfilled your obligation to that gift and you have fulfilled the obligation to the giver. At that point, it's yours and you do with it as you see fit. If that item is going to be useful to you, if it is going to add joy and use and it's going to help you in your life, keep it, use it, love it. If it is not, let it go so it can be useful to somebody else. So that would be my advice. Love that advice. Okay. Biggest lesson you've learned over the years, Rose. Oh man, really easy question there to end with. (laughs) Biggest lesson (laughs) that I've learned. So in terms of simplicity, uh, the biggest lesson that I have learned is that it's a process. This is a process. I think sometimes we see those beautiful pictures on Pinterest or somebody's posted it on Instagram. We think, oh my gosh, I will never get to that point and realize that my goal for people is for them just to get to better. If every day you can get to a little bit better than where you were the day before, you have made progress. And so this is something that I tell my students and my clients a lot is that this is a process. We're not going for looking like we live in Better Homes and Gardens magazine. We're going for living in a home that feels good to us. That is what I want for people. And if every day you move a step closer, one coffee cup you don't need closer to a home that feels good to you, you are on the right path. So that would probably be the biggest thing that I have learned. We can't do it all at once, but those little actions every day add up and make a huge difference to our lives overall. That's wonderful. And if... if our listeners are looking to get in touch with you or learn more from you. Where can they find out more information? So the best place to find me would be my website. It's roselounsbury.com. And that's R-O-S-E-L-O-U-N-S-B-U-R-Y.com. And on there, you'll find links to my social media. If you are on Facebook, I have a Facebook group called Minimalism is Fun. And so that would be a great place to interact and get some inspiration and do some little challenges with us. If you are looking to get started on this path and you want a group of people to support you. So those would be a couple of places that you could check me out and I would love to interact with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Always love talking to a fellow NICU mom and hearing about your story and, and your path in life. And thanks for all the great advice. Well, thank you, Martha. It's been a pleasure.